Go ahead and have a seat, guys. We're going to... I'm actually going to put the microphone on this week. All right. We're going to continue our series that we've been doing for the last few weeks. This is, uh, point, this is part three of the Along the Way series. And we knew that this was going to be, um, this was going to be the Easter service. So we are uh, super excited. You know, Pam and Uman mentioned it. Uh, it's been a very strange week here in Grand Rapids, and specifically the Grand Rapids Church of Christ. And what's, I almost said funny. It's not funny, but it's very interesting that when a loved one very close to us has passed away, and the city is in a certain state of turmoil, like, it couldn't even, it couldn't get closer to what the disciples were feeling that morning of the first Easter morning, the Resurrection Sunday. It was very similar to what we may be feeling now with the city not knowing what to do, and some of us grieving, uh, rightfully so. And so, there's whatever you're feeling this morning, and some of us, we have the whole range of human experience going on right here. Just know that it can be found in that first Easter, in the disciples. So today, we're going to celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday, the day that Jesus was raised to life. And that's amazing, and that's what we should do. We're going to look at the women who went to the tomb. They were planning on performing uh, the burial rituals upon Jesus' dead body. And yet, they made the most significant discovery in the entire history of the world. And that is the meaning of Easter, and that's what we're going to look at today. I've got one major point and then two little practical points. Hopefully you're encouraged. Hopefully you're also a little convicted. And uh, then I'll feel like I did my job. But we're going to do Luke 24, the Luke version of the the, the empty tomb account. So let's read that and then we'll dig into it. Luke 24 starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you, While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and then to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. 
So this is the Luke telling of the first Easter, the first, the resurrection Sunday. We're going to dig into some of my favorite things to pull out of this scripture. The most important one, and my first point, is defeating death. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus' death and resurrection is explained as God's plan to overcome the power of death in our lives. And so when we celebrate Easter, we're not just remembering, you know, a man that came back to life. That's part of it. Jesus died and he came back to life. And it could just very simply be, we remember. What do we do at Easter? We remember Jesus came back to life. But it's not just that Jesus came back to life. It's what it means for us and for all of humanity. Death does not mean the end of us or threaten us in any way. I want to look at some scriptures because this is clarified. Throughout the, into the New Testament, the writers, especially Paul and the Hebrew writer, and we don't have time to look at all of these. I'm just going to look at a couple. They expound upon this fundamental like, truth that because Jesus died and then came back from the dead, that has profound implications for us and our relationship with death. So I want to dig into that. Here's Hebrews. Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And I remember as a kid, like, thinking about death was terrifying to me. And I couldn't imagine facing death. But what the Hebrew writer is saying is that this is, this is a part of the human condition. This is every human around the world and throughout all time. Every culture, every generation, everywhere around the world, every human being has been able to be controlled by death. The threat of death, the fear of death, has been used by powerful men to rule and to control. And then Christianity comes along in its full form after the resurrection. Not just the teaching and the following and the miracles, but like when Christianity comes on the scene in its full and complete resurrected Jesus form, and what do you see? People that just don't care about death anymore. And it blows everyone's mind. When they are threatened in order to be quiet, what do they do? They keep talking. When they are beaten and sometimes even tortured, what do they do? They rejoice. When they are killed, the church keeps growing. And it goes against everything that the the Caesars and the Herods and the the Centurions, is everything they've ever known. Because they use death and the threat of death and the fear of death and the slavery to the fear of death to control people. And here comes Christianity and they say, that's not going to work on us anymore. To the people who truly put their entire lives on the weight of the testimony of the resurrection, they were completely freed from the fear of death. But let's keep reading. But but you know what? This would be a great place. I I spent the last 
like three weeks with Kristen in the ICU and, and with Mark. And if there is one thing I know 100% for sure, Mark was not afraid. In fact, he said multiple times he was ready. I'm not afraid. It's okay. And yet, we're afraid. And everywhere around the world, people are afraid of pain and they're afraid of dying. And to see a man at the actual end of his life be so brave and so courageous and so at peace is like, I want to be like that. I want, I want that for me. And Jesus wants that for all of us. Let's look at Romans. Romans 7, 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is pretty typical, and there's a lot of scriptures like this. Something happened. The process in the New Testament, the process of becoming a Christian, is now starting to be compared to dying. Christians truly believed that if I start on this Jesus path, I can get a head start on the dying process. Why don't we die now so that then we can live? And that might not make any sense of us. We die while we're alive so that we can truly live. Well, how do we die? We die to ourselves. We put to death the life that we live that was controlled by the flesh. We say, you know what? This is who I am, and I don't want to be this person anymore. And Jesus is like, well, I have something for you. You can put that thing to death. And then you can get about the next phase of your life, which is truly living. We die to ourselves, make Jesus Lord of our lives, participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then spend the rest of our years experiencing a miraculous new way of living. And that is how we defeat death. I got one more scripture I want to show you. And I mean, we could keep going just on this for the whole time. I actually read this at uh, Mark's bedside for the family. In 1 Corinthians 15, the whole section is really amazing. I just want to look at this one part. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And guys, this, your bodies, our bodies, are so perishable. The older you are, the more perishable you feel. We are mortal. These young people, like, they're like, my body is awesome. You're like, it is, for, it is now. I'll give it to you. Your body is awesome. Some of us wish we had your body. It's mortal. On a long enough timeline, all our bodies break down. 
And so what Paul is writing to the Corinthians is, is that's God's plan. And you can actually cast off the perishable, put on the imperishable, and live the life of God now. And when you experience that, death is defeated in your life. And I've gotten to sit with several people that have died, and the, it's amazing the peace that comes over people when they, when they accept, like, this is okay, I'm okay. But we are like, no, this is not okay. But they are, what they are experiencing is death has no victory. Death has no sting. And so here's what I wanted to say. This is Easter right here. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. And we could do a whole like college theology course on what is atonement, and we're not going to do that. But Jesus died to pay for our sins, but Jesus' resurrection had another amazing effect, which is we, are, we can be freed from this slavery to the fear of death. And so this is Easter. Celebrations are good. Time with family's good. Dinner's good. Candy's good. All of that. But what we are remembering is so much bigger than that. It's the hope of the entire world. It's the answer to the two biggest problems humanity has never been able to solve on its own. How can we heal our brokenness? We can't, we can't do that on our own. But the cross can How can we escape this slavery to the fear of death that controls us and has controlled all of the world forever? We can't do that on our own. But the empty tomb can. And though there are two more things I want to look at, but this is Easter. I just want us to really realize that that yes, Jesus rose, but we're not just celebrating a man who came back from the dead. We're celebrating what that did spiritually, cosmically, and the effects that it has in your life. I got two more things I want to look at. Here's, here's the first one. This is where I'm hoping to little convict you just a little bit. Seeking life in the places of death. This is what the angel told the women. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the man said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. And what I love so much about this is it's almost like, there's almost like this sense of humor to it. He's like, you know everyone around here is dead, right? The guy you're looking for is not dead anymore. You shouldn't be wandering around the tombs. Because he's not here. Why? Because he's not dead. This idea of when we do, when we embrace that new life, or when we're even just looking for that new life, sometimes we look for that thing in places that we will not find it. Here's what I love about this verse in Ephesians. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God 
because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. And what Paul is trying to get the Ephesians church to see is there's, there's the old life and there's the new life. And guys, if you want to embrace the new life, you can't keep doing the things that you used to do in the old life. Our sin, even as Christians, our sin will keep us from experiencing the life that God wants us to have. How? Hardening of our heart. Darkening our understanding. We lose sensitivity. And I think I've explained that before. Like, We're not able to see things the way God sees them. We're not able to feel the things the way God feels about them. We lose that ability because our sin drags us and it hardens our heart. And Paul's like, and Paul's talking to a church. He's talking to a group of people that are already saved. And he says, you can't live the life of God if you keep doing these things. So we have to put the life behind us and move on. We can't keep wandering around the tombs looking for Jesus. Here's another one, Ephesians. This is the the second part of that. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so that's what we have to do all the time. Take off our old self. Like, well, I took it off once. You'd be surprised how quickly that old self comes back on. It's like you go to bed and you wake up with it like wrapped around you again. You have to take off the old life because it can't give you what you want. You have to live the new life. And so here's my question. Why do we look for life in the places of dying? The angel told the women, what you're looking for, it's not here. This is a place of dead bodies and what you're looking for is a resurrected body. And yet, we do this all the time. The world is a dying place. Our lives are spent wandering among tombs. And there are so many empty promises of hopeless ways of finding fulfillment. Why are you looking for life in places where you know you'll only find death? Let's go through a few, shall we? Worldly, controlling, abusive, only for the goal of seeking pleasure, relationships will not lead you to the type of life-giving fulfillment that God desperately desires for you. I'm going to keep saying that over and over. Politics, party affiliation... Do not lead us to the type of life-giving fulfillment that God desperately desires for you. Endless hours at school and work. 
do not lead you to the type of life-giving fulfillment that God desperately desires for you. The chaos and the chase for money and status do not lead you to the type of life-giving fulfillment that God desperately desires for you. A false, manufactured, social media existence does not lead you to the type of life-giving fulfillment that God desperately desires for you. Why do we keep looking for life in the places of dying? Why are we wandering among the tombs looking for something that will feel like pure and wholesome and innocent again? It'll never be there for us. We navigate through life looking for life. We want wholeness, connection, love, value, purpose. These are things that we desire deep in our heart. And yet, we wander among the tombs. We want to be seen. We want to be told, you are worthy. And yet, we're wandering among the tombs. Where we're never going to hear that in the life-giving way God wants to tell us. So I want to tell you that every single deep desire of your heart can be found in a covenant relationship with God. But so many people will never experience that because they're seeking life in the places of dying. What do you need to change this morning? I want you to do some self-reflection. I want you to think about how you have been wandering among the tombs, looking for a scrap of wholesome goodness. Please make me feel like the world makes sense, God. And he's saying, you're not going to find it there. What do you need to change this morning to start looking for the right things in the right places? And then I want you to think about everybody else. It's my last point. We're going to take communion. The apostles to the apostles. This is one of my favorite points. Apostle, you know, biblically, it just means one who's sent. Go, go tell people what you saw and heard. You're an apostle. Well, we know the apostles, and sometimes we think of the 12 disciples, and we think of the apostles minus Judas, and those are the apostles. But the apostles had to be told the good news. And that was the women. When they came back from the tomb, the women, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. And so what we have here is the women, they receive the discovery. They see the angel. They see, not in the, the Luke version, but in another gospel, they see the resurrected Jesus, and they come back and they tell all the other guys. And the other guys go, that's crazy. And we have to, like, wrestle with that. Like, Jesus didn't reveal himself to the men at first. 
The angel didn't go to the guys at first. He went to the women, and then they told the men. And the apostles had apostles. But that, that could be us, too. I want to read a scripture. In Acts 4. This is when Peter and John heal a man, and then they get in trouble for it. He says, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. If you remember, we looked at that verse last year, or last week on Palm Sunday. Because that's the, if you keep reading, that's Psalm 118. I think it's, that's the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Peter may be saying this to a group of people who literally quoted that when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And now he's rebuking them for killing Jesus. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John, they heal a man, they get into trouble, they're pulled in, they're yelled at, they say, hey, stop talking about it. And they go on to say, hey, we're not, we're not going to stop talking about it. But what gave them the courage and the boldness to speak this way to the religious leaders of the day, it wasn't their training. They were only in the ministry as disciples, as, as underlings for three years. That's nothing compared to some of these guys that they're talking to. It wasn't their family pedigree. It wasn't their long list of qualifications like we read about from Paul later. What was it? What gave them that courage and that boldness? It was just, it was evident. They had, they had seen the resurrected Jesus. And when you have an experience with the resurrected Jesus, you talk about it. So here's a little, one more dose of conviction for us. This, this, is, this is me, okay? I'm going to tell you guys about, about my own journey. Uh, there came a point as a married guy, dad, husband, working, not in the ministry. And it just struck me, like, man, I don't talk about Jesus to people. And I, I need to stop ignoring that that's the truth and I'll be honest with myself. I don't talk to people about Jesus. Spiritually, I'm very lazy, shy, run away from conversations about, about Jesus. So I asked myself, uh, after a lot of self-reflection, and, and I'm hoping that this strikes a chord in your heart. Well, what, what do I talk about? What are the things that I have no problem talking to people about? Even total strangers on the street. And I started making a list. I was like, man, I love talking about movies. I love talking about music. I love talking about current events and news and that sort of stuff. I get, I get hyped about all those things. And I can go on and on and on. But why don't I talk about Jesus? Well, here's what I, here's what I came up with. Just for me, 
And maybe this resonates. We talk about things we're passionate about. What are you passionate about? Like I said, I, I love music, I love movies, I love uh, lots of different things. I'm, I feel like I'm a very passionate person. And even as I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking about maybe even some of the people that aren't here watching online or whatever, I feel like I know what you're passionate about. I bet I could make a list of everybody that I know and list one or two things that really like get you going. Why do I know those things? Because we've had conversations and you've told me those things. I'm not going to list them out here, but if you're interested, like, what does Ben think I'm passionate about? Come and ask me. I'll tell you. But we talk about the things that we're passionate about. And that begs the question, what is actually, if I'm being dead honest, what's my passion level about the risen Lord Jesus? The other thing that we tell others about is things that we believe will improve their life. I remember the company has changed now. I'm going to drag out the little soapbox here and get up on it. There was a, co- there's a company, used to be a little bit different, but it, it's called VidAngel. People know this. They do like dry bar comedy and all those things. Like VidAngel was a, a streaming service that you could use to like censor things, like in your own home, like I turn off bad words or turn off this and that. And it was awesome. And guys, when it first came out, like I was a vid angel evangelist. And I remember, Jen will tell you, like I would, I'd be at parties, I'd be like, dude, you got to sign up for vid angel, man. It's awesome. And I'd be telling people about this last movie that we watched and how we went through the filters and we can do all this and do this. And it was amazing, it was amazing. And someone called me out on it. They're like, wow, like, you obviously think that this is like a really good invention or discovery thing. I'm like, it is. It's like, I I just haven't heard you talk about church that way, Ben. (laughs) But there are things that we believe will improve the lives of other people, and then we tell them those things. It could be as simple as a gadget we bought from an infomercial. Like, oh, like John was over and I was cutting up the onions. I was like, I have this chopper. It's so cool. Just throw the onion in there and pull the string a couple times. People, some of you are like, I have that chopper. And it's great. And I'll tell people you should buy the chopper because it's so helpful. It will improve your life if you buy the chopper. (laughs) It could be some cool new life hack that we learned on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube. Like, like, I, we were just at, at uh, lunch yesterday, and I was like, oh man, I saw this thing about the salt and pepper shakers. Have you seen the salt and pepper shaker thing? You just kind of do this, and it comes pouring out the bottom. I was like, I never thought about it, but I saw it, and the next time, I want, I want to try it. The salt and pepper shaker. This is a radical new life hack that will improve your life. It could be the crazy conspiracy theory to uncover the next world domination. And we think it'll improve people's lives if they know about it, so we tell them. Or it could be as simple as the next candidate for governor or president. We talk about the things that we think will improve life. Every election year, and guys, it's an election year, we hear people on the TV telling us that they will improve our life. 
And they tell it to us over and over and over again, every commercial break and on the pop-up ads on YouTube and over and over and over again. And if you believe them, you will start telling other people about them. They will become your candidate. And you will evangelize for their campaign. Why do we tell people about things? We talk to people about things that we are passionate about, and we talk to people about things that we think will improve their life. And then it just begs the question, but what about Jesus? I had to wrestle with the hard truth that maybe I just wasn't passionate about Jesus. And maybe I might not have truly believed that people need him. Now, would I ever say that out loud? No. But what is the fruit of the way that I lived? It was a battle to work these things out in my heart. And I'm sharing it with you because I'm sure there's someone here that this is striking a chord with. Am I passionate about Jesus? Do I believe he will improve people's lives? Here's another way to say that. Am I as passionate about Jesus as I am about fill-in-the-blank? Do I believe Jesus can improve lives more than electing the right president? And here's, it's church, guys. I know you're all saying yes, because that's what we do at church. But out there, your, your life might not actually reflect it. So remember, we're walking among the tombs. And we need to realize that we're not going to find life there and we need to go look somewhere else for life. And yet, the world is still walking among tombs. The question I have to ask myself is, who will I be the apostle to? Who will I speak boldly and courageously to? Maybe no one right now because we've got to work out this stuff in our heart. <laughs> And that's fine with those two questions about passion and value. But as you work through these things, who will be the beneficiary of your testimony? The women told Peter and the others. And it just continued. It just kept going. But who will you be the apostle to? We are surrounded by hurting people wandering among the tombs, looking for a rich and satisfying life. And you have the answer in Jesus, and I'm begging you not to hoard it. We cannot keep this to ourselves. And so we're going to take communion here in a little bit. We'll take the bread and the juice. 2,000 years ago, a small group of women were making an early morning trip to do a chore a task that none of them really wanted to do. What they got instead was a life-changing, history-changing, world-changing discovery that would turn everything on its head. No one would be the same after they got back from the empty tomb. And this morning, you have the opportunity to share in their discovery. And it's not just on Easter. It's every day of our lives. We can experience life to the full by dying to ourselves. Because Jesus' death freed us from sin, but Jesus' resurrection 
freed us from that fear of death. We can stop looking for life in all of the places of dying. And we can be an apostle. We can tell others about the risen Jesus. Amen? With that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take communion. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he did die for our sins, but through your work on the cross and in the grave and after the grave, you have defeated death. God, I pray that we can live a life that reflects that, that we believe that it is true, that death holds no power over us anymore. And that we can face whatever comes uh, at us with courage, with boldness, and with peace. And I'm just so grateful that I got to witness that firsthand in the life of Mark. God, I pray that we can learn these lessons of Easter. And that it can actually have an effect in our lives. That we will stop looking for the rich and satisfying life while we wander among tombs that we will get to the work of living the new life in Christ. God, and then I pray that we can take the call seriously to rescue others from the empty ways of life handed down by our forefathers. I pray that we can be apostles ourselves, sent by your Son to go and spread the good news. God, we are so grateful. We don't deserve any of this. Nothing that we do can earn your love at all. And it's just that your love motivates us to live lives of love ourselves. Thank you for his death on the cross. Thank you for his resurrection. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.